0: The Hard
1: Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News
0: Talk. Right now, though, I want to talk about energy companies and profits at energy companies. So, the big companies, who am I talking about? BP, Chevron, Equinor, ExxonMobil, Shell, Total Energies. They enjoyed joint profits last year of 246 billion euro, about a quarter of a trillion quid. That's not revenue, it's not turnover, that is the profit that they enjoyed. Paul Murphy, People Before Profit TD for Dublin Southwest. Should we nationalise those companies' operations in this country? We absolutely should. Um, There's there's two reasons for it. Um, One is that people
2: are really suffering with the cost of living crisis at the moment. People have seen their energy bills increased by an average of over a €1,000 in the course of last year. Their transport bills increased by an average of over a €1,000 and their grocery bills go up by something uh, similar. One in three people are now experiencing energy poverty. And the driving factor of that is profiteering by these companies. I mean, these companies increase their profits globally. They doubled them last year compared to the year before. So by nationalising them, you take that out of the equation, you run in the interests of people. But the second and even more important reason really, is that these are the companies, more than anybody else, who are responsible for the climate catastrophe that we're heading towards. Uh, they're the ones responsible for driving carbon emissions more than anybody else. And they're doing all of this for profit. It's in their interest for oil and gas to continue to be burned because that's all profit for them. But it's definitely not in humanity's interest. So we need to take them into public ownership so we can control them um, and so we can... Transition as rapidly as possible to renewable energies, to a lower energy consumption as a whole, and therefore that we can leave these fossil fuels in the ground.
0: David Horgan, Managing Director of Petrol Resources, is with me as well. David, so two arguments in favour uh, of it there the climate argument and that quarter of a trillion euro profit while we're paying through the nose. Well, Paul is the
1: equivalent of our own Liz Trusser quasi quartang, putting forward the radiology in complete defiance of the facts. We have a 100 years experience of what happens when you nationalise energy companies and it is always a disaster and it is always counterproductive. Politicians never understand finance. The Finance is very simple. The euro is an orphan. It doesn't have to come to Ireland. It can go to any one of another 200 countries where it's made welcome. And if you increase the uncertainty over investment... First of all, the, risk, the rate, risk-adjusted rate of return goes up. Secondly, people don't make investment. The result is shortages like we found last year and higher prices to consumers. The consumers always get screwed. State socialism never works. It's always a disaster and people, ordinary people, your listeners, will pay.
0: Paul, I'm not sure if you've ever been uh, compared to Liz Truss or Quizzie Quartang or any front bench member of the Tory party, but anyway, we'll move past that. State socialism doesn't work.
2: I mean, ecocidal capitalism very clearly is failing, is bringing us to an absolute catastrophe. Of of course, someone who is, I think, the head of a fossil fuel company is going to say, please don't nationalise my company, that would be bad. Um, Upton Sinclair said it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. So I, I think you don't really agree with climate change being a factor. You don't agree, certainly, with the role of fossil fuel companies. And of course, you don't accept the very basic facts that profiteering by the big oil and gas companies is the driving factor behind the higher prices that people are paying at the moment. Well, over the last 20
1: years, it's very clear the only developed economy that reduced its emissions appreciably was the United States. And the only reason it did so, despite economic growth, was because of natural gas production, which was driven by the hydraulic frackers. Uh, it displaced coal, uh, but coal is not diminishing and coal is the big polluter. Let's face it, coal had a record year last year. Uh, we had record uh, commodity prices. Why? Because for 10 years, people like Paul, with their petrophobia, were deterring necessary investment, and that has led to shortages. And other policy makers uh, have uh, been promoting policies like moving away from long-term gas contracts, which gave us certainty and security, to spot contracts. And we were explaining to people like von der Leyen that... The reason why you have long-term contracts is to give both sides security, both the developer and also the consumer. If you have spot contracts, you may save money much of the time, but you'll be absolutely screwed as you were last year. So I, I,
0: I've got to go back to Paul on that in a moment. but I, And I do want to sound like I'm defending coal, but as an alternative, long-term gas contracts. I mean, that's just making us reliant on Russian mm-hmm. gas long-term, what you're talking well, about, no, isn't
1: it? But Russia is the biggest buyer reserves. But uh, there's... About half of the world supplies now liquid natural gas. And in fact, the reason why... Well, two reasons why Europe escaped major suffering, uh, the sort of suffering that, that the refugees in, in Syria and, and Turkey are suffering now, is one, we had a mild winter, which is pure luck, and two, that we displaced half the LNG market. Now, we were able, by pain through the nose, we were able to survive the winter, but... A lot of people in India, Pakistan, African countries,
0: they couldn't afford to buy LNG. They went cold. So gas is where we should be investing in in the future. We,
2: we should not be investing in any fossil fuel infrastructure that is locking us into an absolutely crazy situation that is driving us to disaster. Like, of course, David wants us to invest in these things. He's going to make money from them, right? So that's why we shouldn't listen to people like him. He's a signatory on a climate denial statement saying there is no climate emergency. Because we know, I mean, Exxon, back in the the 80s, was actually predicting the kind of temperature rises that we're seeing at the moment. The oil and gas companies know about all of this, but it's not in their interest for people to to act on it. So that's precisely why we have to say humanity cannot afford for these things to be run for profit. We have to take them into public ownership. We have to get rid Mm. of their profits and then we have to, as quickly as possible, leave them in the ground. Davis, Humanity needs economic growth. There is
1: a crisis. It's a crisis of poverty. Uh, Paul is on a good salary. and so there, there is no climate crisis? Well, the climate, uh, the average temperatures measured over 170 years is up 1.2 degrees Celsius. Uh, there have been periods uh, where it's left 5, 7 degrees Celsius and fallen. You know, the Irish, so there isn't one. There is no crisis at the moment. Okay. Uh, now, is, is there a risk of a of a problem in hundred years? Yeah, but we'll be an awful lot richer. in hundred years, there's a lot of adaptation that we. You think what our ancestors have been through? Like even even when I was small, I, I remember my grandparents talking about uh, the uh, Spanish flu. Like forty percent of the houses on the street in Belfast had uh, had suffered Spanish flu, and every now and again you heard a whisper about what their grandparents had said in the aftermath of the famine. Uh, that was a crisis. What we're living through is not a crisis, and the richer we get, and the better we invest our money, mm. the more able we are to deal with future challenges.
0: Didn't expect this to go down the route of climate denial. Well, uh, I—it's uh,
1: not. I'm not denying anything. The the the. Well, yeah, you you're, you're denying the thing. You're IPCC, denying that it's a climate crisis. I'm. Well, uh, what, do you, what do you mean by a crisis? crisis would be if there were, say, 10 times as many people dying from climate-related accidents as 100 years ago. In fact, there's, there are. Only, there's only 5% as many deaths uh, now as there were 100 years ago. Humans have made tremendous progress, and we will continue to make tremendous progress. And the only parts of the world where there are major casualties, for example, from this earthquake hope you're not going to blame that on emissions, uh, isn't in Japan or California. It's in very poor countries where people so, don't have proper construction in, because people like you won't let them develop.
2: In with the Horn the, of Africa. Horn of, the, the efficient fuels in, that are available. In the Horn of Africa, there are literally hundreds of thousands of people now on the verge of starvation. And that famine is... Universally accepted by the scientists, just as the scientists are very, very, very clear scientific consensus against what you're saying in terms of climate change. They say the driving factor of this famine is climate change. Well, first, hundreds well, of thousands of people first, on well, the verge sci- of starvation. Science is, not, and, uh,
1: uh, science is about questioning and an open mind. It's not, it's not a doctrine. You're treating it like the works no, of but Fox. There is, a, cons- there is a
2: consensus. The IPCC. Why, why do you science, reject the findings of the IPCC? There was consensus against Galileo. There was consensus against Einstein. Oh my God. I mean, of course, fossil fuel companies don't want us to recognise their reality. But that's why we can't allow people like him who was driven by his private profit. He, that's all he cares about. He's willing for all of humanity to go down to absolute catastrophe. Well, actually, we need to get off so, oil and gas just, as quickly the, as the, possible.
0: The, the consensus that, that, that stood opposed to Galileo was not based on scientific evidence. It was based on religious fervour. Exactly. Which is very much like Paul today. No. Yeah, but, <laughs> but no, but, but, religious fervor. but this yeah. is faith. This is doctrine. So, so you think that it's it's uh, religious fervour that has informed the IPCC, well, and, you, and not scientific you know, evidence. The, the IPCC uh, is a body of work that I have actually worked my way through. Yeah, the, three not, many, times. not many, clerics
1: involved in it. There's a lot. Of, actually, there are lots of clerics involved in it. They're called clerics by different names. You try to get financing <laughs> to challenge. You try to You're get financing a to You're challenge the consensus. Company. Very hard to get finance to challenge a consensus. Which if you come up with some derivative, unoriginal, duplicative work. It's much easier to finance. And PhD students, like anybody else, they follow the money. But the reality is that uh, uh, any advances is done by questioning. You should never be afraid of data. You should never be afraid of logic. There are many things in science that have totally sure. changed since I was in school. I can, I can list them if you want. And many, many more
2: things that you take as faith will be shown to be untrue. People should choose whether they want to listen to a non scientist who is the chairman of a fossil fuel company or the scientific consensus well, we on climate scientists. change. We People geologists, geophysicists, <laughs> engineers. Uh, I mean you referred, for example,
1: to climatologists. Epsom. Well, why would you need a climatologist? Yeah.
0: Well, I, because we're talking about climate, and in defence of your denial of climate change, you pointed out all the scientists that you... Uh, we that, better that, than you that. We have
1: fossil records. We know what the climate was like in the tertiary and the Jurassic. We don't the need creatures. the experts. We've had enough of experts. No, on the contrary. Uh, we, as an industry, we heavily rely on experts, not just in the fossil fuel business, also in lithium and zinc and other businesses which are critical
0: to the new economy. So can I ask, if you don't uh, employ climate scientists, where do you get your uh, climate knowledge from. But looking at the data, we know that, for
1: example, there was So you, fossils-
0: you, it's you, you, you personally Google the well, data. Well, we
1: have geologists, no, we don't rely on Google, we have geologists, lots of PhDs, professors, geophysics, lots of disciplines, petrophysics, you name it. There are literally dozens of specialties in our industry. And so it's the geologist like, who's given you climate science no, advice. No, the geologist gives you fossil evidence of okay. what species existed, for example, in Antarctica and Greenland, in, say, the Jurassic. And you can see tropical animals... From time to time in those parts of the world. So you know that the average temperature on planet Earth must have been over 20 degrees, otherwise there would be no oil and gas generated. The fact that there is oil and gas
2: that can be discovered shows that in the past temperatures have been higher as well as lower. Sure. I I think this interview proves why we should take oil and gas out of the hands of people like... David, because all they're interested in is profit, they're willing to deny the very, very clear scientific consensus, and very, very bluntly right? between, I, I looked up before I came here, the top six oil and gas companies are sitting on proven oil and gas reserves of 75% Billion uh, barrels. That's the equivalent of that's tiny. That's tiny. That's worth about That's worth about six trillion euros. If we burned all of that, mm. the scientific consensus points to global temperature rises of something close to up to five degrees. But right? it's that is it's devastating for humanity. But those companies absolutely seek to be able to to burn it. That's why we have to take it out of their hands. Like humanity is absolutely reliant on us getting the fossil fuel, putting them out of industry can, by out of business
0: entirely. Can I can I bring this back to the uh, nationalisation argument yep. that we kick things off with and can I ask you Paul to respond to David's suppose, initial point which is that there is no example of state socialism working in this regard that it, the, it, it the, is inefficient and it is corrupt the, that is the, the evidence so of history a,
2: a century ago the ESB was set up in this country as a state owned uh, company and um, it invested in the infrastructure, it electrified the country, and it provided some of the lowest electricity costs in Europe. Throughout the process of the late 90s and early 2000s, Europe-wide, you had so-called liberalisation, in reality, privatisation. Yep. As a result, we have some of the highest electricity prices in Europe. The only people that privatisation has been good for has been the private electricity companies. It's been bad for the workers, bad for the consumers, and bad for the environment, because the shift to renewables has been incredibly slow. David? Well, what happened when
1: the ESB... Uh, was one of the bidders in a battery storage uh, two uh, projects in the the Midlands. All the other bidders were told that they had to get uh, ESB's permission. And of course, ESB had its own bid in, so it didn't give permission to anybody else. State ownership Even after privatisation, you see this with BP and Petrobras, many other companies that are partially privately owned, it breeds corruption and cronyism and inefficiency. And the emissions per unit of production of the the NOC or National Oil Corporations are far higher than the private sector. Uh, Typically, you have about 10 or 11 times as many employees in the state sector per unit of production as you have in the private sector. Private ownership is much more efficient. And you can also tax them. Very hard to tax the
0: state, the state sector. Um, but, I mean, if there's that much money to be made in it, should you really be bragging about how few employees you should have? Maybe all that money should be spent on giving people a decent wage.
1: Well, it's a it, it's a very high-paying salary industry. But, uh, you can hire off a lot more people with a quarter of a trillion quid. It, it's, well... Uh, you know, so you want people hanging around a server farm uh, because people 100 years ago used to hang around a factory. Uh, progress happens, whether Paul likes it or not. And humans want better lifestyle, better services, education, health. We need housing for the migrants and the young people. Paul would send us back to the
2: Stone Age. So we, we provide public transport as a public utility. We provide um Housing for some people as a public uh, utility. We provide education. We provide healthcare. And um, energy should be treated. Water, as a public, I thought you'd mention there, but anyway, uh, water. Sure, energy should be treated as a public utility. It's a basic thing that people need to uh, survive. It shouldn't be subject to the profiteering of David and uh, others. And it's also as a social essential that we as rapidly as possible, like it's in the interests of private companies that we increase energy usage through data centres and so on. We should be seeking to reduce energy usage because that will speed up our transition to renewable energy. All of that points to the need to be in public ownership so we can actually control it in the interest of society, not in the interest of profiteers.
1: I start with Paul, so a final word to David. Politicians never understand finance
2: and they always get
1: things wrong. If Paul gets into power, you'll have no energy, no money and no growth.
0: David Horgan, Managing Director of Petrol Resources, and Paul Murphy, People for Profit TD for Dublin Southwest. Listen, gentlemen, thank you both very much uh, for joining me in studio. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from four
1: on News Talk.